Welcome to Take It EV. This is episode 4. This is Greg, and today we're going to be talking about hybrids. Today I would like to talk to you about hybrids, how they came about, why we see them and why, in my opinion, they should not be considered these days electric vehicles. Well, as a warning, this episode is very much my own take on the subject. I did take facts seriously, I, but I also want to share my own op- observations and opinions. I do welcome everyone to share theirs, uh, and your feedback is greatly appreciated. The Facebook website is at facebook.com slash and the Twitter is at takeitevy. I'm also mostly lurking on the UK EV Owners Forum, where I can be found sometimes posting my own opinions as well. So, let's start by briefly describing the automotive industry. This is going to be a very much simplification of the process. I'll be talking about the major manufacturers, the ones that have been around for decades. Hybrid vehicles are complex and there are many, many variants of them. But, for the purposes of this podcast and to illustrate my point, my simplifications are adequate. Motor vehicles are very complex. Let's uh, focus on the drivetrain, the economics and the safety aspects of the car. Virtually every internal combustion engine car on the road today is a sum of components which have been create not created for the specific car, but rather as a subline of parts used by one or many car manufacturers. It's important to remember that we are not talking here about the brand of the car as this gets even more complex and it is to do with marketing and history rather than economics and engineering per se. Well, maybe a tiny little bit about economics, but we will get to economics, don't worry. The typical car is developed around the propulsion unit, the engine, the tecker, the noise machine. Engines are developed with certain engineering goals in mind. Goals we all know about, such as power, consumption, efficiency, but also others such as cost, of course, lifespan, size, flexibility, possible variants, and probably a million other choices which we, we're just going to skip here. They're mostly irrelevant for us anyway. Uh, once developed, the engines are matched with other components to create a platform. This is the it's the, it is that platform that is then to use to develop the rest of the car, the things you see on top of it, the things you enjoy, the things you pick the car for. This entire process takes a very long time and of course a lot of investment, which means that these decisions are made well in advance. Roadmaps are drawn and adjusted many many years in advance before you see the actual car. The next thing we need to talk about is regulation. I hope we all do agree that regulations are good things overall and it helps us, common folk, to have better and safer products. There are, after all, certain goals that pure market forces do not and cannot achieve. After all, humans are not exactly driven by pure desire for good for all. 
loads of our day-to-day decisions and are purely reactionary and self-centered. Most of us are good and want to be good for others, but we are not willing to sacrifice a lot on a day-to-day basis for the sake of others. But this isn't a philosophy podcast. On the uh, the subject of regulations and pure market forces, I remember that the joke that illustrates my point. Ayn Rand, Rand Paul and Paul Ryan walk into the bar. The bartender serves them tainted alcohol because there are no regulations. They all die. <laughs> if I just lost some of you, well, please come back later. Most of you are aware that the combustion engines are not exactly the marvels of efficiency. Yes, compared to the cars 30 or more years ago, ago, modern engines are exceptionally efficient, but below 20% efficiency is not exactly the mark of an engineer that would be proud of it. So, with all these complexities and efficiencies, let's introduce two more variables. Fuel costs and emissions. Every so often we will see the oil prices going up, for one reason or another, and the public will panic. After all, with most of our current transportation systems being oil-driven, it has a major impact on our economy. This of course gets people to try alternatives. Car manufacturers usually notice and start pushing their cheaper, smaller, more economical cars with smaller engines. After all, they usually do have them already, on the back burner, but that's not what usually sells, so they're not pushing them to the mainstream. The other factors the other factor is emissions. This has direct correlation to the regulations. I'm not aware of any car manufacturers caring too much about the emissions. After all, if you're old enough, you might remember how terribly received were catalytic converters. The same thing that has happened to diesel particulate filters. Diesel themselves are a nasty piece of work and to get a diesel engine to work efficiently, not to mention with low emissions, takes a lot of engineering and external mechanisms. The principles of diesel engines are rather simple, but the environmental impact of a pure diesel engine would be terrible. But where was I? Oh, emissions. So... Yes, this is where our friend regulation hops on. You see, after all, you'd think that people would care about the environment. We do many little things around our own houses to make the environment clean and nice, but when was the last time you noticed, for example, your neighbour boasting about how they got rid of their third car or decided to consciously reduce their rubbish production by, say, 20% to lower their CO2 footprint? or environmental impacts. I'm sure it happens, but I don't see it happening too often. Well, what actually happens instead is that we get some smart people with data, facts, to send cries for attention, and eventually politicians cave in and approve targets, which car manufacturers have to follow. Worse yet, many times it takes a major public outcry or a tragedy. Health-related issues, declining air quality for these things to be pushed through. This is usually something like an average emissions figure to be set in level or percentile reduction or year-over-year targets, like in case of the EU. (music) 
this has two effects. On the one hand, we end up with smaller and smaller engines, both in terms of physical size, fuel displacement figures, footprint, but also in terms of the number of cylinders. I'm sure there are other things as well. Um, on, but the other effect is the engineering focus. Uh, being an engineer myself, I do always appreciate parameters that force us to focus better on our goals. And regulations and certain you know restrictions do certainly do that. Hundreds, if not thousands, of very smart people work every day on making combustion engines more and more efficient. The economic factors, due to the their intermittent nature, the higher fuel prices usually don't stay high enough for the sufficient pressure to be put on the car manufacturers to focus their development roadmaps on efficiency and emissions alone. Restricting emissions isn't the only form of regulatory pressure exerted on car manufacturers. Other are requiring certain types of vehicles to be available. The subject for a different round where, you know, everyone has to have an SUV these days. So by requiring manufacturers to sell smaller vehicles, we get to enjoy cleaner air as well. There's also a subject of CO2 credits. It is not used to the full extent it should be used in, in my opinion, but introduction of which was the main reason some car manufacturers introduced just one widely available pure electric car in their lineup. So we're finally getting to the meat of the subject. Why do hybrids exist? I'm sure all of you are already there with me, but just for my own sake, I'll say it. At some point, the laws of physics, other requirements, make it almost impossible for the platform to be developed with the engine big enough to drive the car, yet small enough to meet the regulatory requirements. This is where someone had a very smart idea to add a very small electric motor to the vehicle platform. The motor would be propelled by electricity produced during braking. The battery would be small enough to hold enough charge to get a few miles out of it at very low speeds. The battery is being recharged every time the vehicle would otherwise require brakes to slow down or when you go down the hill. After all, electric motors turn into generators in a blink of an eye. Boom, and we get a self-charging mechanism that recently has made a comeback in some marketing materials. The electric motor is usually on a completely different axle from the ICE drivetrain. This usually requires automatic gearbox, but these days automatics are very small and efficient, and probably should be in the vast majority of cars sold these days. So now we have a platform that can be scaled up very nicely. After all, regulations dictate limits only achievable in pure laboratory settings and their emission test, which is just not possible in the uh, in the real life, even with, you know, extremely careful driving. I, I don't know if you know, but the figure stated in a car's official documentation is at least five times smaller than the real-life emissions figure. And yes, that includes zero emissions vehicles, because zero times five. So, <laughs> with this uh, hybrid platform, we have something that works great, right? Batteries slowly increase in size, Engines are more and more efficient, and we can see clear linear progression into the future, which leads us to 
pure electric cars. The world is good, the world is saved, we're all happy, but is it? Well, you see, one of the first well-known hybrids out there, Prius, Toyota Prius, has been on the market since, drumroll, 1997. That's 22 years, folks. For some of us, it seems like just yesterday, but it's been a while. So, where are we? Well, nowhere close. You'd think that these days, with battery costs being all-time low and getting lower, battery capacity improving 10 to 10% every year on average, the cost is still too high to produce a 200-mile range mid-sized car for less than about, say, $15,000. You would hope that all produced vehicles these days would be at least serial hybrid platforms. So, what's a serial hybrid vehicle, you may ask? It's a very genius platform, in my opinion. Imagine a pure electric car with a battery big enough to give you, say, 30-40 mile real-life range. Strapped somewhere in the car, you had a very small and efficient combustion engine, well-tuned within certain RPM range to be very efficient and driving a generator, which will top up the battery whenever required to give you an amazing range. Sounds like pure magic, right? Well, we have cars that actually do these things these days, such as Vauxhall Ampera, or it's known in the US as Chevy Volt, or Chevy Volt, or that's the old would be. Uh, we also have pure electric cars that have a range extenders, such as i3, BMW i3. But that's another end of the spectrum, and I could argue that these are very much pure electric cars with just a little tiny helper on board. So why isn't everyone making these cars after 20 years, you may ask? After all, this has been a perfect stopgap. Well, as with most things most things in life, people don't like change. I've mentioned the, uh, the platforms that I've developed over many years, and big corporations don't like to invest in major technology changes. It's too much risk. It's a simple answer. Um, in my opinion, it's just a pure lack of commitment on their part. Hybrids did get better in the last 20 years, though. We do have hybrids that can do 30 miles just in batteries. So why aren't all cars sold today as hybrids? Well, I wish I knew the answer to this one, but I think the answer lies somewhere between the lack of commitment to the clean air and corporate greed. Who knows? So, going back to our friend regulations, at some point, some governments decided to incentivize people, consumers, to prefer electric cars. Regulations are written by people, for people, and people are very creative, and it's usually a good thing. So, how do you incentivize car manufacturers and consumers to actually buy cleaner cars? You specify a very narrow list of requirements for each car to have in order to qualify for such an incentive. Again, for purposes of this podcast, I'll simplify this. And uh, I'll just say that one of those requirements was the ability to charge the car using grid electricity. So you have to add a plug, essentially, to your car, right? After all, adding an ability to charge the onboard battery opens up different avenue for car manufacturers. You could all, all of a sudden create a hybrid with 
much bigger battery. Uh, bigger battery means more cells. More cells means that the current can be produced to propel heavier and faster speeds. You know, we, more cells basically means you can have a bigger electric motor, which means you can rely purely on that motor up to or an over uh, motorway speeds. All of a sudden, we are able to potentially have cars that can be driven on in the electric mode all the time. We get essentially plug-in hybrids. This is, you know, the inception of them. Plug-in hybrids, however, are still just hybrids with a plug. They are a step closer to electric vehicle, much closer than any ICE has ever got before, but still not there. And despite plug-in hybrids being around, well, forever, it seems, but in the mainstream markets since about 2010, we still don't have them or don't see them being as a sort of mainstream technology. Sadly, there's no bridge from plug-in hybrid to the serial hybrid platform or even pure electric platform. It just doesn't scale that way. They might share discrete components, batteries, uh, motors, etc. But they, one cannot evolve into the other one naturally. So once again, we find ourselves at the avenue where you cannot invest as a platform designer, car manufacturer, platform manufacturer in a long-term roadmap, which would improve the vehicles year on year. After all, hybrids are supposed to be just a stopgap. Sadly, due to the abuse of the plug-in hybrid grants and manufacturers focusing on satisfying the regulatory requirements to the minimum levels, we have never seen a boom of plug-in hybrids. Even worse, these days we see many car manufacturers actually walking back the evolution of the platforms. Major amounts of monies are instead pumped into very damaging PR campaigns promoting so-called self-charging hybrids. Um, Self-charging using what? Solar panels in a car? Unicorn juice? Rainbows? Butterflies? Nope. These are just same old things that we've seen since 1997. So in essence, we are being fed 20-year-old technology, but dressed up in a nice, shiny facade. You know what they say, you can't polish a turd, but, well, you can deceive people. And in case you haven't heard, no, these cars are not cleaner. It's a step back from plug-in hybrids, really. Once again, we get the minimal effort being fed to the general public as a new, shiny technology. So, where can we go from here? Well, we have all the issues we have in in the modern politics. We have to say, or I have to say, elections have consequences. We have been electing leaders who do not care about the environment nearly as much or nearly as needed as much as needed at or nothing or not at all at least in the uk as the time of this recording march 2019 we have people in charge of the government who tax the green electricity production yes you heard that right and they subsidize fossil fuel industry we all hear all sorts of comp, uh, you know green sounding messages from the campaigns and and politicians but just like self-charging hybrid campaign it's i'm afraid it's just a lot of loads of bollocks So, on the subject of whether the hybrids are good or not, they do help. They are indeed cleaner with certain parameters or within certain parameters. Um, It depends on the way, you know, on way too many variables and the human element. We, We all buy products for different purposes and driven by different reasons for our decisions. This applies to cars as well. So, 
do I think hybrid, whether a PHEV or not, drivers should get the same treatment as pure electric car owners? Uh, I would say no. Given everyone the same level playing field, by ignoring the amount of emissions we decided our cars will produce, is in my opinion the wrong way forwards. Folks, buying hybrids will already be re- rewarded um, by savings in the fuel and road tax. This is, you know, detected by the, the vehicle's average emissions. So, and the way you drive it, obviously. So in my opinion, that should be plenty enough of an incentive. There are enough examples of people in the past uh, buying plug-in hybrids for tax relief reasons only, and parking privileges and all that. And it just illustrates my point. And no, the opposite isn't the voice in favour of treating hybrid owners, or hybrid car owners, on the same level as pure electric cars, for all the reasons I have already mentioned before. So, in summary, hybrids are a very nice stopgap. They do fill a gap. But in no way do they get us closer to the sustainable transport goal. After all, it isn't hybrids that got the major, uh, major players to seriously consider developing and selling pure electric cars. It is other pure electric car manufacturers as <coughs> well capturing enough of the market to make the major player take notice. Or players, rather. This year, 2019, we will get to see many really amazing pure electric vehicles being released. I do hope that the momentum is kept and uh, and we will enjoy the best year yet on our journey towards the more sustainable and fun transportation for the sake of us and our children. In the meantime, folks, do take it easy. Bye-bye. Thank you guys for listening to the latest episode of Take It Easy. As always, your feedback is greatly appreciated. Do get in touch on Facebook or Twitter. It's facebook.com slash or at takeitev on Twitter. And um, just, you know, if you see me anywhere else, just stop by and say hello. Thank you very much. See ya.